Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Ethicast episode. I'm Arti Maharaj, Vice President at Ethisphere. As you know, Ethicast is the official Q&A video and podcasting platform featuring thought leadership in the ethics, compliance, and business integrity space. In this week's episode, I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Katerina Wegman, EY Global ESG Leader, Forensic and Integrity Services, and Partner Assurance at EY. In today's conversation, Katerina will speak more about the heightened focus on ESG in recent years. She'll also share her insights on the topic of greenwashing and its overall impact on consumers, the business, and the environment. In fact, Katerina recently penned an article which explores how good governance can keep companies clean of greenwashing. I'll be sure to link that article to this recording. Katerina, welcome, and thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Thank you so much, Artie. It's so wonderful to be here and look forward to our conversation today. Yes, yes, certainly exciting. Uh, we've been prepping and planning for this, so I, I think it's going to be great. So, Katerina, to kick things off, could you share just a little bit more about your role at EY? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, I'm the uh, global ESG forensics leader um, for EY, but I think it's more important to maybe um, understand why we created a role like this. Um, and with that, I probably want to um, go back to two years ago. Or it's almost three years ago now where we noticed as EY, our role, of course, in building trust and confidence is incredibly important uh, for pivoting towards a sustainable future and supporting businesses around the world uh, on their sustainability journey. Um, and with that, of course, as a global forensics practice, we noticed quite quickly, um, what does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean how we can serve our clients on that journey to report non-financial um, data um, and non-financial performance? And so um, it's more um, around how can we serve? How can we serve um, the clients around the world with the challenges that they face given that uh, non-financial performance needs to be reported down the road. Um, and given our role in society as a big four, um, it was a no-brainer to create that role. Uh, so what can I tell you about this role? It's For us, it's incredibly important to bring together the different pieces um, cross-functionally in our organization so that we can do the best possible job um, to support our clients around the world on that journey. Because obviously for us, that's uh, equally a Herculean task, um, just like for our clients. And so um, I have the joy and sometimes also the pain um, to be one of the facilitators um, to, to get all the different pieces together um, and trying to make sense of how we can serve best in a way. I don't know how that, how that resonates, but that, that's a little bit how, how the role unfolded. Yeah, no, that, that's great, Katarina. I'm curious to know what personally got you involved uh, in this role as well? Like, what were your motivators? What made you say, you know what, the ESG is it, it's the place I want to go? Yeah, so I guess it was a bit uh, of an organic um, organic shift in my career um, because previously when I joined EY um, seven years ago, I was more responsible um, around integrity and ethics and how do we support our clients with their integrity agenda. Um, most importantly, how do we measure integrity culture? And given my academic background and, and given the reasons as to why I joined EY, 
um, to really um, fundamentally change the way in which we measure culture and the way in which we institutionalize integrity in organizations. It was a bit of an organic shift because for us in forensics, it became quite clear and also in assurance more broadly, it became quite clear that the G in ESG is one of the most important topics in order to be successful. Um, and governance, so the G in ESG um, is of course one of the fundamental pieces um, to get going on this journey and to make sure that not just from a structural perspective, but also then how do you operationalize and measure governance um, is very much linked to the work that the team has done around integrity and ethics before. So to be honest, Artie, I kind of um, <laughs> just fell into, into this role. So it was an organic development of the successes of the team um, that I work with. Um, and, and so I'm incredibly grateful that we, of course, as EY recognized how important is the governance piece um, in that space. Um, and we are incredibly, um, yeah, incredibly grateful to, to work on this topic and, and trying to figure out what are the best ways to, to get this mm -hmm. off the ground in, in a powerful way. Yeah, and I think that's the just the core of ESG, right? You want to make sure everything that you do on that front is organic. Um, so I think, you know, just using that and keeping that in mind, this really sets the context for today's conversation as, as we dive deeper into this topic. So I'll jump right into it from here. We've heard this question time and time again, and now I need to pose it to you, Katerina, based on your wealth of experience and expertise. In your view, is ESG considered a luxury and how are companies assessing the risks and opportunities such as cost savings, increased sales, employer of choice, et cetera, across the ESG and the ESNG pillars? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, quite interesting. And to be honest, I, I would love to challenge this for a second because I've also heard this a lot in the past 14 years. I've been thinking about ethics and organizations, you know, oh, it's just a luxury. Um, but to be honest with you, um, if we dial back a little and, and unpack that um, a little bit, um, I think it's um, quite ironic that we even ask that question if that's a luxury because um, it's quite linked to also privilege and also having the privilege to even ask that question. Um, if we think about climate change and if we think about the challenges ahead and if we think about the scarce resources that we have and that we have to work with in businesses, um, obviously, um, this isn't really a luxury for hundreds of millions of people, if not billions down the road, this is a necessity. Um, and so I think for us as a business, um, not just as EY, but also for businesses in general, the question uh, shouldn't be around whether or not this is a luxury. It should be more around what can we do as a business to be a force for good? Um, and what can we do as businesses to contribute um, to the planet and also think about concepts around post growth? Um, and not necessarily just have a risk perspective on um, on these challenges and and also really wicked problems that we're facing as business. Um, but trying to you know uh, get away from from that uh, from that paradigm that this is a luxury, this this is, to be honest with you, a necessity and and the question is, what are we going to do about this? Um, and how do we, uh, rethink the way that we do business and how do we rethink the way that we think about our value chains? How do we rethink uh, the way in which we work with our suppliers? What do we do to um, to pivot in a meaningful way uh, towards a sustainable future? And so um, 
I'm not sure what you think about this, but but that's a little bit how I'm uh, how I'm conceptualizing this right now. Of course, we're certainly aligned because you have, uh, you know, some see it as a privilege, some see it as a luxury, some see it as a necessity. And the fact is, it is a necessity. Um, and it really is a mindset. It's something you have to build into what you do and, and all of your actions and how you make decisions. So um, we're certainly aligned. And that actually takes me to the next uh, question and to zero in on trends. What have you seen across the industries as you think about this topic further? Have you seen any trends on this front that you can share with us? I think it would certainly help um, our Ethisphere community think about it um, at a much cool. deeper level. Yeah, of course, be happy to. I mean, let's, let's just tap into a couple of them, a uh, couple of forces that we can see in the market around the world, which is also why we as EY, of course, uh, are responding to those um, dynamics. So I think the first one is, of course, regulators, right? Um, as a big four, and especially as assurance, um, we are very much focused um, to look at what our regulators doing around the world. And if we just look at the European Union for a second, um, obviously um, the CSRD directive and the way in which we're going to um, have to report on non-financial reporting, uh, sorry, non-financial performance moving forward. Um, this is, of course, one of the biggest pieces uh, for us um, that, that we can see um, is influencing the way in which business is thinking about this because now it's a regulatory requirement to report on ESG. Um, the same is true for the US. Um, of course, we are still waiting until this autumn, it seems, um, what the SEC is going to do around um, climate uh, regulation. Um, but there's something uh, in the pipeline, at least, so that also in the US market, even if it's quite politicized um, for the time being, how um, ESG is going to unfold. Um, still, the SEC is quite serious with their task force um, to push regulation down the road. Um, and the same is true for um, Africa and Asia. Um, so uh, we can just see a systemic shift in the way in which we think about the necessity um, of a sustainable future. Um, and that's, uh, that regulation is obviously just one, one big piece uh, for the market dynamics. But another one that's really interesting and, and for me also from a research perspective, that's one that I'm um, most impressed by is the pressure that investors um, are putting on organizations. And the first time I noticed this was probably three years ago, also in the time when we were debating and thinking about what do we do uh, and how can we serve our clients is when after investor weeks, you know, the C-suite is then calling um, in a in a very... Uh, nervous way in uh, wondering, okay, how are we going to now get better in our DEI program? How can we measure culture? How are we going to set up our whistleblower program in a, in a more effective way? What do we do about our supply chain being uh, more sustainable? So um, investors are really asking hard-hitting questions um, around ESG. And so that's really something I have noticed along with regulatory pressure um, that seems to be influencing um, a lot of the decisions. Um, and then one of the big buckets, um, I think also our employees. Um, let's face it, um, you know, the market for employees is, um, is better than it's ever been before. Um, and obviously also employees are demanding um, that the companies that they work with um, also adhere to the values that they put on their websites and, you know, have them uh, sparkling in, in their marketing campaigns that also on a day-to-day -day basis that these ESG promises are also lived on a day-to-day -day basis. And so 
Um, those three, I mean, just for, for keeping our conversation going, I think those three would be um, the ones that I would say pushed the needle or turned the needle the most um, from my observations. Yeah, and, and, and just to build off that a bit, uh, just to, to, to summarize your thoughts here, I would say, so in your view, the trends are definitely the regulatory pressures that have been coming down. For example, the SEC uh, on climate change, uh, which will also um, take us to investors and they are, they, they are becoming more, they are actually applying more pressure on companies and asking hard hitting questions. And also employees are demanding more from companies. Employees, there's a shifting demographic. Employees want to have a voice. Um, as we think about the future generation of leaders, they want to be included and they want to make sure that the companies they work for are actually making the right decisions. Yeah. Um, so just to summarize, I would say overall, those are your trends that, that have been identified. And that actually, um, you touched on this in your article. So with that, turning to your article for a bit, you, you mentioned the emergence of um, green hushing, given the increase in regulatory pressures, which you just spoke to, and mounting stakeholder demands. What new developments have you been seeing as it relates to this concept of green hushing, for example, are you seeing an uptick in companies choosing to remain silent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this absolutely fascinating development uh, that I've seen over the last year. So I guess um, at the beginning, um, so three years ago, when we were looking into these topics, we were so optimistic and also, um, how can I say this in the best in the best possible way? We were so enthusiastic to say, wow, this is the you know the biggest possible opportunity for capitalism to reinvent itself right this is in the idea also um, the european csrd um, but also some of the ideas coming from the us those are really ways in which we can can think about capitalism in all new ways like huge opportunity to not only um, measure the success of a company based on financial performance but non-financial performance i mean let's Let's step back for a second and just think, wow, this is a, like a groundbreaking idea, right? And this is something um, that's been missing or got lost on the way just a little bit. Um, and so in the beginning, we were like, wow, this is awesome. Also, the first conversations with clients, they were super enthusiastic. And then you could also see that the aspirations were put into words and were put on, um, you know, the claims that organizations are doing. They were really up here and they were just saying, this is what we want to do by, and especially during Corona, I think this facilitated this aspirational piece a little bit to say we can do better and we can be better. Um, and, and so this gave us almost the fuel to say, yeah, we are all committed. Like the whole market is going in the direction of being aspirational. Um, but then if I look back now, the last couple of years, how this has evolved, you can see on the other side, um, that those aspirations, if we take it from a legalistic perspective, and this is also how ESG is often now being interpreted and operationalized, if you look at it in those aspirations from a legalistic perspective, of course, it opens up the door for a lot of litigation and enforcement action. Because if you cannot follow through with proof, if you cannot follow through with data, and you can't really back up your claims and back up those aspirations with, um, you know, real uh, real reliable data to support that story, then of course, from a legalistic perspective, that opens up the door to tremendous risk. Um, and, and that I can completely understand 
that especially if general counsels or chief compliance officers who often of course have the lens of a corporate defense for an organization would then go listen everyone this is this is out of control we got to dial this back because we have a lot of exposure putting this out there and so from my perspective this is a little bit the the pendulum that then uh, swung back a little bit um, from that really aspirational, enthusiastic, optimistic, we can all do this to, wow, let's look at what can we actually do in the context and the reality that we are in, uh, which is much smaller. And this, to me, seems to be the result than um, the whole greenwashing um, and, and green, no, sorry, green hushing, um, the green hushing uh, phenomenon that we see in the market. Um, and so, so that's a little bit how I make sense of this. Um, yeah. I don't know how you observe this, but um, but that's a little bit what what I'm seeing. Yeah, no, and and just based on your research and and um, working with companies and having that exposure, do you feel with these aspirational goals that they're putting in place, they are setting themselves up for failure? Not at all. Um, not at all. Um, for for me, um, and also this is how we see it together as a team. We think again that this is the biggest opportunity that organizations have to reinvent themselves and be really serious about um, what's the role they want to play in society what do they want to stand for who are they um, what's the corporate citizenship model that they want to adhere to and so of course the aspirations are an incredibly important piece to that puzzle the question is um, how do you portray those aspirations and also how do you take your stakeholders on the journey to close the gap towards those aspirations and there we are then with the topics of transparency and and taking stakeholders on this honest journey of hey we are nowhere near where we want to be and where we need to be um, but here are the 10 things we are going to do and this is here are the 10 things how we're going to keep ourselves accountable and here are the initiatives and here's the data to support it it's obviously an Herculean task, but it's definitely not impossible if you're serious about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, from, from my perspective, this really is um, just a really amazing opportunity to, um, to stick to those aspirations because you're not gonna get that opportunity again. And let's face it, once you see this as an opportunity and, and you move towards those aspirations, um, this is how you can make change happen. This is how you can reimagine um, your value chain really from A to Z to go through every step of the of the value chain and, and try to understand how can we move towards performance? How can we move towards um, becoming not just compliant, um, but really take this as an exercise to be better, to become better and to innovate? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what what's often forgotten because now everybody, of course, is concerned about compliance. Um, well, let's face it, uh, the leading companies and the leading organizations that we work with, they see this as a massive opportunity and driver for change and also source for innovation because it really can happen. Yeah, and that's what we do. We challenge each other to be better. Um, you used a really good word, which is uh, aspirational goals can help companies reinvent themselves. And I think that's just such a great point. Um, tapping into um, your expertise, your ENC expertise, I kind of want to bring all of that together here. So given that our core or audience are ENC leaders, what's the role ethics and compliance can play in this process? How can they help with 
reinventing or how can they work together uh, with others um, across the company to help challenge each other and become uh, leaders um, and set aspirational goals? Yeah, so I think this is, uh, like I said earlier, once in a lifetime opportunity also for them to position themselves as the leaders who are going to make this shift happen. Um, and so before, I think sometimes we were in a situation where, um, you know, some of these functions are struggling with having le legitimacy and having the support and the resources available to them to um, really put their agenda forward. Um, and this is probably once in a lifetime opportunity for them to strategically position themselves as the facilitator for change and also um, as the connectors for different functions. Um, because let's face it, this is a cross-functional Herculean task to get data together and to make sure that everybody gets on that journey. Um, and so for ENC professionals, this is going to be um, probably one of the opportunities to just say, hey, we're going to be the ones who understand what this, what this is all about. Um, and we can be those multipliers in the organizations as well as the, the ones that can connect the different functions. And most importantly, um, this is also an opportunity to rethink the way in which we think about the three lines of defense. Um, so from our perspective, very much back to my point earlier, to not just think from a corporate defense perspective, but to an opportunity perspective, how can you reimagine um, the three lines of defense to a three lines model um, or even three lines of offense? How can you have an integrated risk management around this? How can you make sure that you um, think about the way in which you effectively manage those risks, but also take this as an opportunity um, and um, capture those opportunities and making sure that the organization engages with them. Because it's not just a risk to be managed, it's also a massive opportunity for innovation, massive opportunity to get the best people in the world to join you on that journey. So this is probably where I see the most leading practices around this, um, how ENC leaders can play a big role. Mm -hmm. And that takes me to another point here, Katerina. Um, Certainly all great insights that you've been sharing. And I feel like you and I could go on and on talking about this for hours because it's one of those topics that deserves a lot of uh, conversation around um, and research and, and the high level of expertise like what you possess. Um, as we think about the next level, um, pushing the boundaries a bit here, research suggests that ESG reporting frameworks are at a very early stage of development. Um, in your view, what can company leaders do to move to the next level on their ESG journey? And, and by the way, you mentioned the word journey early on. So I think this sort of buttons up that conversation focused on the next phase of the ESG journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you're probably not going to be surprised uh, that the first thing I would I would say is around governance. Um, and governance, not just from a structural perspective and the G and ESG, but really think about it from how you're going to institutionalize sustainability and, and what does that mean for you in an organization? Um, and to be honest with you, um, again, it's not necessarily about creating a new silo around the function of sustainability, but really embedding it into the organization and who you are as a company. Um, and so this is a chance, again, to think about governance from a formal setup and how do we structure our functions? How do we work together? How are we going to institutionalize this? Um, but the second piece then, of course, is around governance and operationalizing the G and ESG. Um, and that, of course, is a whole um, different ballgame. 
um, which then would lead me to the second point around data quality. Um, data quality, I couldn't emphasize this enough, is probably one of the biggest struggles that our clients have, Whoa. given the diverse um, system landscape, IT landscape that they face. You know, a lot of them have legacy programs and legacy systems with which they can't necessarily have integrated reporting. Um, but this is really the essence, like following from the governance topic. How do you operationalize it? But then also, how do you set systems and processes and controls in place in a way that your stakeholders can trust that data? Um, because as I said earlier, um, it's it's about bringing stakeholders on that journey and, and making sure that they can trust what you say is true. And so one big piece, of course, is how do you collect the data? How do you make this um, uh, meaningful? and most importantly, reliable data so that everybody can see that you are serious about this journey and you are serious about closing those gaps over time um, that you are seeing if you look into your aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third, the third part, um, and of course, I love talking about that topic the most, is, is around culture. Um, you have to make sure that this is embedded in everything you do as an organization. So it doesn't stop by just having an initiative for ESG reporting or having an initiative around um, looking at your value chain end to end. But it's also about how do you make sure that this is embedded in the way in which you recruit in your entire HR lifecycle? How do you promote people? How do you um, have succession planning in place for your organization? How does learning and development come into play? Really making sure that this is part um, of who you are as an organization. Um, and so of course it doesn't stop um, with just getting on that journey and, and then being compliant and reporting. Um, but it's also about bringing everyone inside the organization on this journey and making sure that everyone is part um, and, and also um, committed um, to, to this journey. Yeah, so it's a continuous journey, continuous improvement. And uh, just to summarize your point there, it's not so much focused on a series of one-off exercises. This is something that should happen over the course of a couple of years, because that is just part of the journey altogether. Yeah. You learn, you pick yourself up, and you continue on. Um, and most importantly, you learn from each other, right? So I think that's a very big part of it. Um, I want to speak to collecting the data piece that you highlighted, but you know what? I'll put that on the back burner for a bit, and I'll I'll, I'll take that up uh, a little bit later. But um, just in the interest of time, Katerina, because I know you're extremely busy, um, and again, I, I thank you for making the time to chat with us. But as we we wrap up today's conversation, I'd like to turn the focus to EY's recommendations for the community. So in your view, what are some ways do you recommend that GCs and CLOs can educate themselves in term, and their teams on ESG, greenwashing, green hushing? Um, and could you also share some internal and external resources that you think would be useful to them? Yeah, so probably I would, uh, I would differentiate between formal learning and informal learning for a minute. Um, so the formal learning, and there I have to wear more of my professional hat and my assurance hat, um, there are, of course, a lot of formal resources available to understand what are the requirements for you in your role? What are the requirements also from a legal perspective that you need to adhere to? I mean, we're also talking about um, uh, really the accountability of certain positions and organizations. This is going to have a massive impact on um, what is required of you um, from a from an, uh, formal perspective. And so for that, um, I think there are a lot of resources also at universities. I think it's amazing that 
Um, a lot of the universities in the US, for example, have programs that are even available for free to upskill yourself and to get to know um, the, the topic around sustainability and, and different areas and sustainability, whether that's reporting or whether that is how can we perform. Um, so a lot of those um, programs are out there. Some are, of course, paid, but some of them are also um, for free. And then others, of course, include also upskilling of the board and upskilling of supervisory boards. Much of it is also a matter of do we have the right skills and do we have the right mindset also on the board? Um, and so there's a lot of formal training also around that. And I think this is where people can tap into these resources. Um, and the informal learning, I mean, this is probably one of my passion topics, given also my academic background. Um, I'm obsessed with podcasts. I don't know about you, Artie, but obviously podcasts are the way to go if you want to learn anything. Yeah. Um, so I think there's so many that I'm just, when I'm walking or when I'm, uh, you know, commuting or going somewhere to clients. I mean, podcasts are probably a huge inspiration, yeah. right? Um, and and huge, a huge source of all types of topics that you could imagine um, in that in the area of ESG or sustainability. So that's something where I would definitely um, get people to to tune into. Um, and then of course, um, LinkedIn is also a good resource to see what are others doing. Um, but then, of course, also communities of practice, right? I mean, a lot of the work that you do, um, it's absolutely amazing to create spaces where practitioners can talk and, and have a safe space to talk to each other, learn from each other, bounce off ideas from each other. Um, so I would also say in that informal learning space, creating communities of practice and, and making sure that you reach out um, to, to others in the community, because let's face it, it's a collective, it's a collective, eff collective um, effort um, and that's where a lot of opportunities are out there um, to engage with others. Mm -hmm. And the best guidance and candid conversations happen in those communities, yeah. you know, those knowledge sharing sessions. Uh, question for you, Katerina, do you have any specific favorite podcasts? That you can recommend? <laughs> I have so many, but my favorite, <laughs> let, let's say the top three. Um, so my number one uh, favorite podcast is from Nikolai Tangen from Norges Bank Investment um, <laughs> Investment Management. Uh, this is really my favorite podcast. I don't know if you heard it. It's um, in good company. Um, I've heard about it, yes. Yeah, yes. so can only recommend it. It's absolutely amazing. And also um, Nikolai Tangen's claim is um, that uh, ESG is just common sense. He doesn't understand the whole political issue around it. Um, so and I, I would agree with them. So I think this is a really cool podcast that that I could recommend because uh, he's talking to CEOs from his portfolio. Um, and the second one um, is is definitely Michelle Obama's uh, podcast. I think uh, that's really for me. It was quite inspiring to to hear her and and hear about her journey and hear about also the struggles that she has, um, not just um, in her career but also personally and how she talks to people in her direct environment. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, Adam Grant's podcast is also, um, yeah, really, really cool. Uh, so yeah. those would probably be my top three, but I can give you a thousand more. Those are some great ones. I've actually heard a lot of our own members speak to those. So that's, uh, that, that's certainly solid recommendations. You mentioned that there's informal and formal resources. So just looking at the formal for a minute, um, you know, wearing your, acad your academic hat, I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned, you know, credibility, authenticity, that's very important. Uh, 
you know, just to kind of connect the dots here, going back to that piece on collecting the data, that certainly is a formal resource. And just to sort of close that question at Ethisphere, we do have our own on-demand platform called Asphere, designed really to help companies turn data and insights into action, identify strengths and opportunities, benchmarking, and just so much more. We have specific um, ESG data and expert analysis, just like this this conversation that's going to be featured. Um, that's certainly worth checking out, and and I'll link more to that on this platform. Um, you know, Katerina, to to take this further, um, and I feel that you know we we can spend some time on this question too. But do you have any thoughts for those who feel a bit behind? in their own readiness to help lead in this area because you know there's so much noise online of people who are setting goals and they're um you know claiming that they achieve that they have achieved their goal there are others that are genuinely trying um but they're just not there yet so what what are your thoughts on this and what are your recommendations yeah to not despair uh, because we're all in the same boat um this is a collective challenge and yes there are, of course, researchers, scientists, and also practitioners who have been in this field for decades, right? I mean, also my colleagues from um, our awesome sustainability practice, they have been in this business for a long time. Um, and so, of course, there are some few pockets who are experts in this field. Um, but let's not forget the majority of us, we are not experts in this, including myself. Um, and so the, the idea is, um, to not worry at all that you're behind. The whole power of learning is that you're always ready and open uh, to learn something new and to tap into spaces that you haven't been before and be curious about, hey, what can this person or that field or this discipline, um, how can this help me in my challenges? And so I would I would absolutely say to not despair, not worry about being behind. It's It's really, um, a good space to be in and also to just follow your pace, right? I mean, this is what I know from my academic background and what I've learned from, from um, the many mentors that I had um, to really trust the process and making sure that everybody feels comfortable in their own pace um, and, and things will just take time. Um, and as long as, as we um, acknowledge find that already is a fantastic step into then um, moving forward and connecting to resources and people who can get you one step further and, and one step at a time, we'll all get get to where we need to be. Um, so, so I'm staying hopeful that this is um, this is the same for all of us, and we should all be humble and um, you know should not be too overconfident that we all have the answers because let's face it, we don't. For many challenges that we're facing, we don't have the answers, and so already to start from that raw place and to start from that honest place that, hey, we're in this together, we might not have the answers, um, but we share the same problems and let's figure this out together is probably the best best possible plan of action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and finally, Katerina, staying on the point of messages, um, could you share best practices on how messages around commitments and goals should be vetted, delivered consistently, um, and also in a way that clearly articulates the promises that are actionable and achievable. For example, how are companies leading this charge and articulating their promises where they're not over-promising, um, they're hitting the benchmarks? Um, 
I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this. And, and by the way, this question came up at, at one of our events, and I felt that it was very important for us to talk about it yeah. in this conversation. Yeah, 100%. I can imagine. Yeah, I hear the same. So, Artie, I'm not surprised about that. Um, so let me first wear my assurance hat or my my hat of, um, you know, my, my role and how I think about this as a big four. Um, the leading practices around this definitely are to be methodological about how you're doing this. So again, I cannot emphasize enough that it's important to look at the data that you have available to you and then match it to what the targets are that you are setting out to have realistic targets and have targets that also can be traced with the data that you have. Um, and then follow that process so that you can replicate every year the exact same data and take people on that journey transparently. Because if the data is not comparable, um, then, then that, of course, causes um, a lot of mistrust and also causes a lot of questions as to why do you pick A um, today and then you pick B tomorrow makes no sense to me. Um, so how can you be consistent over years um, to then show how these targets um, are being matched with the data that you're picking? Um, and as, I think that's the biggest criticism that, that there has been, um, that investors and analysts and also consumers are saying, well, companies are cherry picking the data and they're not really honest with the way in which they pick data and are reliable in the way in which they portray um, their journey. And so that would be from a from my assurance perspective, this would be my biggest um, recommendation from what I have seen companies doing incredibly well, be methodological with um, matching your targets with data sets and then having them um, in a in a really uh, yeah professionally set up way in terms of controls and processes in place um, to then also compare them over time and making sure that you can see, okay, this is completely contributing to the targets that we set out. Um, but then more anecdotally, uh, I love to also talk for me, for myself as a consumer or as a stakeholder, of course, I'm not only my profession, um, which is also like just two days ago when Apple announced um, their new products, product launches, they also um, had this amazing ad um, for uh, their board meeting reporting to Mother Earth. I'm not sure if you saw it, Artie. But it's so genius to really turn up the heat um, around this whole dynamic of what are we are we, what are we doing and why are we doing this? Well, um, let's report and hold ourselves accountable uh, to Mother Earth. And so, if you haven't watched it, I, I highly recommend it uh, because this is really, of course, it's marketing, but of course, there's also data behind it to support um, the journey of that organization. So, I think from from just a personal perspective, um, I would also encourage companies um, to be to be creative with the way, the way in which they want to be authentic and true to what they're trying to accomplish um, on their sustainability agenda, um, and then finding ways in which they can connect to their stakeholders in a meaningful way. Because let's face it, right? Companies are like people. Um, they want to connect with that brand. And this is your biggest opportunity to not only be trustworthy, um, but to also then in that type of way, connect with the people that that you want to connect with the most, which is your stakeholders. Um, so I think that that would be um, maybe something I, I would encourage people to do. Yeah. I I certainly checked it out. I thought I thought that was great. And that was just such a great example to use um, for the purposes of this conversation. Um, it 
Apple really showcased their point, their point of view backed by authentic and credible data. Um, you can tell that they spent a lot of time researching this before they put it out there. And I thought it was a very, that was a very solid example. So just to recap very quickly, Katerina, um, to summarize uh, my takeaways. Now, I collected six pages of information here um, on, on takeaways, but I won't list, up, list out all of the different takeaways I got, but I will just consolidate it. Um, but first of all, when we think about trends from, from our conversation earlier, it's really to focus on uh, the fact that we're going to have um, some heavier regulatory pressures coming in. Investors have um, more expectations. Employees are demanding more. So these are all the areas and the various stakeholders that companies um, need to be ahead of and, and, and prepare for in the future. There's nothing like preparation. Um, the next piece is when it comes to aspirational goals, companies should use this as, an, as a way to reinvent themselves and share their narrative and tell the story differently. And they can do this through collaboration. For example, bringing in their ENC team into the conversation. Um, a, one piece you mentioned in terms of resources is collect going to formal and informal resources. Um, you shared a list of examples um, that folks can tap into and leverage to help them to help guide them on their day-to-day -day journey. And finally, ESG is just a necessity. Um, ultimately, it comes down to what can we do as businesses to be a force of growth and create a better future. Um, I think that was just such an important point and it, you clearly spoke to it throughout today's conversation. Um, once again, to everyone on the line here, you just heard from Dr. Katerina Wegman, EY Global ESG Leader, Forensic and Integrity Services and Partner Assurance at EY. Katerina, it was such a pleasure having you here and the work that you all are doing um, and sharing is really helping us collectively grow in this space and make a difference. Thank you, Katerina. Thank you so much, Ari. It's so wonderful to be here and appreciate you giving me the space. Enjoyed it truly. Thank you.